This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. Hey guys, and welcome to this very special episode of Franchise Fatigue. I'm your host, Gabe Green, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, James Hamrick. What's up, man? Nothing much. Excited to, to see how this plays out. Yeah, so we are doing something uh, very different and probably quite inadvisable here today. Um, so if you listened to last week's uh, recording or review of The Rise of Skywalker, you know that we have a lot of issues and problems with it, and particularly in the way that it followed up, or in many cases didn't follow up, all of the things we we thought were set up in uh, the, the Force Awakens, and particularly the Last Jedi, and so we th- well the original idea was that usually when we do a review for a film, while whenever we bring up a problem, we'll say you know instead of this, I wish they had done this, and and we th- but since we had so many issues with that film, I very rightly assumed that if we tried to to do that within the structure of that podcast, it wouldn't be three hours; it would be like six hours. <laughs> so. We decided to, to you know to just to just talk about the movie in that one and in this episode we each of us would give our would essentially rewrite the the rise of Skywalker um, and hopefully do so in a way that does justice to both you know the previous two films and the at least the ideas of of some of the things that were happening in the rise of Skywalker. But before we get into this, I would, I do want to give an enormous disclaimer. And for one, just say that I I don't think, you know, that I, if I was in JJ's position or in Terry's position, I would have made a better film. Like what, what well, at least what I'm doing, I'm assuming it's also what James is doing, is we are taking, you know, films, you know, the first film, Force Awakens, made by J.J. Abrams and Lars Kasdan, the second one, made by Ryan Johnson, and this film by J.J. Uh, and Terry We are taking... We are taking, you know, these these products that all, took like two to three years, you know, from the ground up to make, of you know these guys working eighteen hour days, seven days a week. You know, we're taking the finished product, you know, three years down the line with you know months of uh, hindsight, and we're just saying like, well, I would have shifted that, I would have changed that, I'll take that, and it, like what we're doing is just incredibly easy. We're, what we're doing is super easy. And it's, this is not in any way, I at least I hope, doesn't come across as just saying, you know, we know better than these storytellers and we're so much smarter and they're idiots for what they did. Like, for me, like, if I had to come up with a story from scratch, it would not be good. <laughs> but what we're trying to do is, I, I hope what I'm doing here is at least, is just having all the benefit of hindsight and having all these years of thinking about it to just, you know, Point some directions that they could have, they, if they if they had gone into, would have hopefully told their ideas. That's what they are. They're, they're, for the most part, these are the, these are their ideas. They're not my original ideas. They're ideas I've either you know got from their films or picked up you know in the years of conversation with many other smart fans online. So yeah, just kind of that disclaimer out the front that I don't want this to be seen as some kind of just arrogant. You know, oh, if I had done it, if I had written this movie, it was so much better because that's definitely not the case. And uh, another disclaimer as well is that. Normally, when when we're doing a pod uh, our podcast and we're talking about our issues with a film, and we offer an alternative, usually I am trying as hard as possible to stay too straight to, to stay true to the structure and the precise, very precise themes that the film is going for, and say like, if they had made this choice, 
it would have gotten your theme across stronger. But I ran into a couple problems with The Rise of Skywalker in that I just have so many kind of fundamental philo- philosophical uh, disagreements with the choices made. Like, I could not find a justification for Palpatine or like Ray Palpatine in this story. So right off the bat, honestly, I'm swerving so far away from the actual structure of the film that, to be honest, this is just kind of glorified fan fiction. That's exactly what point. I consider mine. And which is normally something that I, I just like mercilessly mock and criticize and don't pay any attention to. So feel f- completely free to do that with uh, what happens here. Yeah. And so I, I tried to do something similar, um, which is stick to the original intent, see if um, the ideas that they tried to get across here could coincide with any sort of continuation from previous stories. And uh, to help keep me on track, um, I I kind of decided on, like, I gave myself some parameters to operate on. Things that I wouldn't have chosen from the get-go. Uh, like, for myself, I decided regardless, Palpatine coming back seems important to them. Um, they Terrio really seemed to feel strongly about Ray Palpatine. Uh, they're, they're just... And obviously, we didn't decide on, on an approach. We just kind of said, hey, let's try to rewrite it. And so just to give me some set of tracks. Um, those are those are things that I constrained myself with and just to see if the ideas that they were trying to go for here, um, like I said, could still coexist with, with other things that I felt the trilogy should have, in, or the, the trilogy capper should have included. And I freed myself from all constraints. Uh, so this will be an interesting comparison to see, you know, how our different approaches uh ended up because you know we each you know went off separately and wrote our own kind of i guess story treatment although i feel like that's being awfully generous to the ramblings that i have here i was about to say i'm also really interested to see how you laid yours out because i essentially just like started with scene one and i would get to moments where i'm like i would have a very very specific vision for some of this and be like oh and then we cut to this as this person says Mm -hmm. this and then i hit other moments and i'm like ah it kind of happens like it did in the movie and i move on and this character says something incredibly wise that I am not wise enough to come up exactly. with. Exactly. Fill it out later. <laughs> All right. And so I guess uh, enough stalling. Here we go. Uh, starting with, we're going to start with uh, my kind of very broad, rough, overarching story treatment for what I think this film could have been. All right. So the opening crawl. The spark of resistance is fading. Under the fanatical leadership of Supreme Leader Kylo Ren, the diabolical First Order spreads its tyranny to the far- to the farthest corners of the galaxy. The few who resist are hopelessly outnumbered. Despite the odds, the fearless resistance strives to bring light and hope to an enslaved galaxy. General Poe Dameron desperately searches the galaxy for like-minded rebels and allies to stand against the First Order's tyranny. Meanwhile, Rey, the last hope of the Jedi, trains under her new master, Leia. But her presence is a threat that Kylo Ren is determined to extinguish by any means. Dun, dun, dun. All right, so the prologue, opening with the prologue, uh, Rey is dreaming. And in the dream, she meets Kylo Ren, who taunts her with the revelation of her drunk traitor parents uh, and tells her that the only way she will ever meet anything is by his side. And she lashes out at him with some kind of intrinsically dark side power. I mean, the Force Lightning is the cliche, but uh, the Force Lightning comes back later, so I don't want to use that right then. Like, she does something that is dark side-ish, and then he smiles because, you know, this is exactly what he wanted. He was trying to draw it out of her. And uh, we hear Leia call out to him, and he wakes up at you know he wakes up in a st- with a start in his first order quarters, and um, 
a first order officer walks in and he just throws him <laughs> throws him out into the hall. Then we cut to uh, Finn and Poe on a mission, also with Rose and Chewie and uh, you name it, some other resistance people. They're on a mission on the Falcon, and they're meeting very much very. It's a very again very similar to the opening of the actual movie. You'll notice that a lot of my scenes are very closely cribbed from the movie because there's a lot of good very, stuff there. Very close to that really cool thing that JJ did that I really couldn't do if I tried. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they're meeting with a source to get any any possible information on resistance sympathizers or rebels uh, against the First Order that they can aid. They get the info, uh, but they are ambushed by the First Order and they escape in a fun action sequence. Um, it's very, but it's very close. I also want there to be some kind of like ground combat, uh, so just to show that they actually could have really used Ray out there. Poe saying that they they needed they could have used Ray when it was all you know it was him and Finn flying doesn't doesn't entirely add up. So I want some ground combat as well, just to show that they could have used her. So they escape in the Falcon, but they get a transmission from from Ray. And uh, Poe starts to complain about her not being there, but she cuts him off, telling him that Leia is gone and she passed She passed in her sleep the night before. And that right there, I think, is one of the major changes I made. Um, you know, having seen what what you know what JJ and Terrio did with Leia, I, re- I very much respect what they were going for, but I don't quite think it worked. Uh, so right off the bat, I'm going to just remove remove her her physical presence from the film but hopefully not her spirit. I'm so poetic. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you follow me along well enough? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm actually enjoying this. <laughs> okay. Then we cut to a First Order board meeting. Uh, the Knights of Ren have returned from mm, what... Good, I've got some board meetings in mind too. Oh, they're the best. Uh, so the Knights of Ren have returned from whatever mission they were on in the previous two films. Who cares? I don't know. Uh, and the First Order has pretty much conquered the galaxy. All that remains is to mop up some, you know, several mop-up operations on various planets that are still holding out. Kylo thinks they should focus more on hunting down the remnants of the Resistance, and of course, Rey in particular. Uh, but Rey, but Hux and the First Order officers don't view them as a serious threat uh, all that much anymore after their defeats on Dakar and Crate. Also, a little change I make is at the start, Kylo and the First Order don't know that Luke is dead, because really there's no way they would have known and I think I think Kylo is probably too disconnected from the Force, and just just distraught at the end of um at the end of the Last Jedi to feel when he passed. I think you know only uh, I think only Rey and Leia felt that. So right now he does not know Luke is dead. So as, as Kylo is arguing with Hux and the rest of the First Order officers over you know whether to go after the Resistance or after uh you know mopping you know finishing conquering the rest of the planets that are holding out. He looks up and sees just Luke standing there at the end of the table. I, what I'm thinking is like is uh. Are you familiar with uh, Macbeth? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know when uh, Banquo would just randomly appear to Macbeth. Oh yeah. So that's essentially what I'm thinking, where he just he just sees him there, uh, just an apparition. Well, he look he looks real looks real intangible, but just standing there, staring at him, judging him very hard. And so Kylie just explodes, and um, you know he's yelling and brandishing his lightsaber, and then Luke vanishes, and Kylie's just standing there like an idiot in front of all his officers and the Knights of Ren. Uh, he storms out, yelling that the girl is their only pri- priority. And you have these very dark, foreboding looks between uh, Hux and Pride. I have Pride, but H- Pride is just an, another o- in my in my version. He's just another officer for Hux to talk to. Um, think uh, Glazelle and Sepespian from Prince Caspian. Yeah, I kept Pride because I'm like I'm not willing to lose him. He's got too too great of a glower. Yeah, so they, he's just there so they can look very darkly at each other and plot against Hux against uh, Kylo. Um, so after that, we cut to Leia's funeral. We have this big tearful funeral. 
Leia gets a Jedi funeral pyre with uh, Ray and Poe together lighting it. Uh, it's very sad. There's lots of tears and speeches in her honor, and it's just it's visually stunning. JJ could figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, Ray and Finn kind of have a conversation, and we get filled in that while you know Poe is leading the resistance, Ray and Leia had gone off on a training retreat, and which is you know where they were just you know, they're at their training, and then one night Leia passed away, and just. That's what happened. It was of natural causes, peacefully in her sleep. Ray is uh, very confused, and she she doesn't know what she's going to do now that she no longer has a master. Um, she kind of wanders off by herself, very sad and forlorn. Uh, and her first forced connection with Kylo opens up. He tells her that it's all her fault that Leia is dead. That if she had been a, Jedi, a better Jedi, that Leia wouldn't have exerted herself so much and wouldn't have worn herself out. Ray explodes at him, but then he just disappears and leaving her alone uh, in her misery. And then we cut to Finn, you know, back at the funeral and he's feeling something like he's he feels something is wrong. We see him kind of glancing around trying to locate her in the crowd because uh, he can sense something. Then we cut uh, to Kylo and we cut back to Kylo and he's traveling to Jakku. Uh, he goes to the junk trading station. Uh, he, he confronts Unkar Plutt uh, and forces him to tell him where Ray lived and he kills him um, because good riddance. <laughs> He explores her our ATAT home, just the thousands of scratch of days scratched under the wall, kind of the testament to her loneliness. Um, while he's wandering around, he gets a message from Hux about rebel holdouts on some random planet. Um, Hux requests that Kylo leads the invasion, but Kylo tells them to take the Knights of Ren instead, and we get more ominous looks uh, between Hux and Pride. Lots of ominous looks. Everything clear so far? Yes. All right. Now, now cut to a, re- a rebel briefing. Um, at the rebel base, uh, Poe is very nervous about now being the highest ranking officer in the resistance. Uh, and now he doesn't even have Leia to look to for guidance. They go over the information that they, they retrieved in the opening mission. They find out that there are two groups of rebels opposing first order incursion on different planets. One is some remote planet called Kajimi, and the other is at the old imperial capital of Coruscant. There is another heavily encrypted piece of information uh, that of, uh, of data that Connix hasn't yet quite been able to crack, uh, but she is working on it. Something I didn't say earlier, this information would have been stolen from the First Order, so it's First Order information. So they decide to first go on a mission to Kajimi uh, to warn them of the First Order's attention and then try to recruit them if possible, the uh, the rebels that are on that location. Uh, then we cut to Kylo, and somehow, I don't care how, Kylo discovers the location of Octo, who cares how, it's Star Wars, whatever. Uh, and he orders Hux to give him a battalion of stormtroopers so he can go to kill Luke. And meanwhile, the First Order is, is uh, preparing that invasion that we spoke of earlier. And Hux is obviously very irritated at having to pull, have troops pulled out of his his campaign to go on Kylo's. And he and Pride have a conversation about the downsides of having a temperamental supreme leader. Uh, cut back to the uh, to the mission. You have uh, Finn, Poe, Ray, Rose, and Chewie, and whoever else. They arrive at, at Kajimi. But they are ambushed by First Order uh, First Order stormtroopers. But the stormtroopers themselves are also ambushed uh, by these mysterious rebel rebels. Uh, the the attackers then take Poe and, and company to their hideout, and we see that the freedom fighters are in partial stormtrooper armor, but it's all like decorated with paint and whatnot, like something like partial stormtrooper armor, but but it's all painted like, like kind of like the uh, the clone troopers from Clone Wars, kind of all decorated and uh, yeah. looking very uh, un First Order like. Um, and we learned that they're all First Order stormtroopers who deserted after uh, witnessing the First Order's brutality. Janna is their leader, and Finn is obviously overjoyed to see them. Uh, they agree to join the Resistance, and, and together they all head toward Coruscant. 
There's a lot of a lot of tuna good for you here. Well, that's Star Wars. Yeah. And while in route to Coruscant, uh, Ray continues to attempt. You know, she attempts to continue her uh, training ex- exercises, uh, but her connection to the Force is completely out of control. Either it's not working, or it's far too powerful and destructive. Uh, when she tries to meditate and find balance, Kylo invades her mind, continuing his taunts. In, fr- in frustration, she stops training. Uh, she goes to Poe to try and get into contact with Maz Kanata, who, you know, if you go going back to The Force Awakens, she is the one who first sent her on this path. Uh, again, you know, he's at first he's very frustrated uh, that she keep, you know, she's not, <laughs> you know, she's not focused on the resistance fight, but she shares with him her fears of being alone without guidance. And then he opens up about feeling completely unprepared to lead the resistance after after Leia's death. They have a lovely heart to heart. And then Finn comes to her as she's about to leave. He's worried about the way she's isolating herself. Um, something about her feels wrong. Uh, but she tells him that she needs another teacher. But Finn isn't so sure about that. And Ray leaves them and goes goes off to wherever Moscanata is. All right. Now we have a conversation between uh, Finn and Janna. Um, they talk together about being a stormtrooper and why they left. You know, of the shared feeling slash instinct that broke through the First Order indoctrination in the first place. It's a very similar conversation to the one they have in The Rise of Skywalker. They wonder how many other stormtroopers would quit, you know, qu- would quit like they did if they were given the chance. Uh, then Connix and Poe come in. They tell them that they've cracked the encrypted data cube from earlier, and it contains the information on every child the First Order has stolen, where each where each trooper was from, and in some cases, even who their parents were. Poe has searched for Finn's parents, but they weren't listed, and together they have a nice moment of, you know, you're my family anyway, I love you still. Whatever. <laughs> Trust me, it'd be beautiful. It'd be beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. You'd be crying right now. Uh... <laughs> You should be grateful I haven't reduced you to the weeping sack you would be if you would watch this. Exactly. Then we cut to Kylo arriving at Octo, and there he realizes that Luke is actually dead. Uh, well, he realizes that when Luke appears to him as a Force ghost. Kylo rages about, uh, you know, he's just raging and ranting about how he's going to turn the girl to the dark side and destroy everything Luke worked for. He head, heads towards the dark side cave, but Anakin appears to him, uh, begging him to return to the light as he did. Kylo mocks him, telling him that he doesn't need to look up to the failure of Vader anymore, that he will succeed where Vader failed. He enters the cave and searches and tries to reach out to Rey through the Force. Meanwhile, uh, Rey has found Maz Kanata on some completely bizarre and random business venture. Uh, it should be something very comedic and funny, just something weird. She's she's breeding loath cats or whatever. <laughs> uh, she asks her to continue teaching her, but Maz refuses. Uh, she tells her something very cryptic, but turns out to be exactly what she needed to hear. Something very wise and mystical, which you can imagine in your heads, because I don't have the imagination. Then Kylo appears. Uh, you know, the power of the dark side cave allows him to actually physically interact with her this time. He attacks her, uh, telling her, in effect, uh, to join him and become someone or die as the nobody she is. Uh, after battling with lightsabers, very much like their fight uh, on Kajimi and in his... His uh his quarters on the Star Destroyer, you know, very something very similar, similar effect. You know, Ray, who's you know, who's still very distraught, she goes to uh to electrocute uh, Kylo through the, the connection with Force Lightning, but he deflects it into Maz, mortally injuring her. Uh, Kylo again retreats in triumph, and Ray is obviously very uh very distraught. Uh, but Maz is very kind and understanding. Um, she tells her to go with her friends that they need her help and that she needs them as well. Um, Ray isn't sure that she can actually help anyone, but she leaves for Coruscant after Maz dies. Uh, but there's a very there's a real edge of darkness about her now. Uh, at this point, we are moving into the third act. 
Hux returns to his flagship um, and demands the fleet to go to the planet where Ray, where Ray and Maz were. But Hux and Pride uh, smugly inform him that he is no longer in charge of the First Order and that the post of Supreme Leader has been done away with. The Knights of Ren attack him, uh, and he just barely manages to, to fight his way to his fighter and escape. Um, he's injured and uh, just all around humiliated and defeated. He's, he's lost the First Order, lost, his, lost everything he ever fought for. Then uh, Finn and Poe and the rest of the Resistance, they arrive on Coruscant and start planning with the on-site rebels. Finn has come up with a plan to infiltrate one of the Star Destroyers, and from there he will send a broadcast to all the other troops on the planet. And, and in, there's, like a, there's like five Star Destroyers over the planet. So they're going to infiltrate one of them and use it to send a broadcast to all the other Star Destroyers and all the, the ground troops. And essentially Finn will tell them his story and then broadcast all the information about their homes and families and just plead with them to either go home or join the fight against their kidnappers. Finn then senses that Rey is close and that something is very wrong. Uh, he's worried about her, but he still has he still has to go through his mission. And um, so they head off to battle. Does that plan make sense? Yes. So so the climax here is them trying to broadcast and turn like huge amounts of stormtroopers. Yeah, they're going to commandeer a star destroyer to use this communication system to try and uh, broadcast the Finn's message. You know, like a Captain America speech at the end of uh, the Winter Soldier. You know. Yeah. Nice. Something like that. So uh, Ray arrives at Coruscant. Uh, she initially planned to go rejoin her friends, but the moment she comes out of hyperspace, she feels the force calling out to her, pulling her towards an enormous ruin, the Jedi Temple. <sighs> she lands and wanders through its halls. Uh, she calls out for Luke, Leia, anyone who can hear her and tell her what she's supposed to do. But the only voice that answers is Ben. Uh, he's a mess. He's wounded, half mad. Uh, he tells her that the force brought him here to kill her, that it's all her fault, that he lost everything he ever wanted. They have their epic battle, you know, similar to what they, what happened on the Death Star in, in the Rise of Skywalker. And, but for the first time ever, what's different here is that for the first time ever, both of them are trying as hard as possible to kill the other, and both are very, are very much using the dark side. Eventually, he beats her down and is about to strike her dead when his mother calls out to him like she, um, like she did in the opening dream. Uh, he hesitates and Ray stabs him just like in the movie. Uh, then in the movie, you know, she's distraught of what she did, uh, how she's given into the dark. She reaches out and heals him. Uh, they have the same conversation. They can have a similar conversation. You know, I want to take your hand, take Ben's hand, all that good stuff. And then, you know, he gets up and he, after being healed, he flees, uh, leaving her alone. And at this point, Ray has, you know, is completely at her lowest point. She thinks she's a failure. She thinks she's, you know, a just only a danger to anyone. You know, she's given, she's, she's given into the dark side. So she's about to get in her ship and leave the fight for good. Uh, but Luke appears to her and they have a very similar conversation to what they have in the film. So here's pretty much the only dialogue that I wrote down for this, and it's probably dreadful. But essentially, here's, I think, the themes that I want to be getting at uh, with Ray. So Luke says, uh, The only power the dark side has over you is what you give it. Your fear feeds it. If you allow the fear of falling, of falling to the dark side to consume your heart, then you will fall. Um, Ray says, I just, want to, I just want to be free from this darkness. The darkness is in you, Ray. It's part of you. So is the light. There is light and darkness in all of us, and no matter what you do, both will always be there. The light found Darth Vader years after he had thought he had driven any trace of out of himself, and the darkness found me just when I thought I was safest. We will never truly defeat the dark because it is part of us, just like the light. Our job is to embrace the light each and every day. We must reject the dark, but we shouldn't fear it. Fear gives it a foothold. Confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi. Confront your fear. Choose the light. Uh, that's more or less the gist of what they have, what they say. Uh, Ray then hops in her ship and heads to help her friends. 
And what, what I want, what I really want to get across here. Um, this is more my, I guess, this kind of in, inserting my take on the light and dark dynamic. Um, I just to get into the kind of the entire arc that I'm giving right in the movie, which I which I think is mostly brought from the movie. But instead of making her fear of you know her afraid because she's a Palpatine, she's simply afraid because she sees the darkness inside herself. But I think. And that's, you know, that's already planted in The Last Jedi with you went straight to the dark. So. Yeah, but so, but I think the way this fear of the dark inside herself expresses itself is, will be almost identical to the way it's done in The Rise of Skywalker. Just, she doesn't have to be a Palpatine. She's just powerful and she can't control herself and she senses darkness. So she's afraid. So I think what, I think we essentially have her behaving much the same way throughout the movie and essentially Andy going, you know, having the exact same resolution that she does in the film, just without the Palpatine element. Um, so cutting back to the main plot. Uh, the Resistance has begun its attack. They storm one of the Star Destroyers over Coruscant. Uh, we could even get a cavalry charge. For, you know, Why not? Uh, <laughs> Chewie and Rose take the engine room, and Finn and Poe take the bridge. Finn sends out his, his message to all the stormtroopers on nearby ships. Um, while they're doing that, Rose finds a recording of Luke standing against the First Order on on a, on a what's, uh, crate. Just a recording from like one of the AT-ATs or the ship or whatever. Uh, she finds it on the computer. And uh, meanwhile, Finn's message is creating absolute turmoil in the Force Order ranks. Some run, taking their ships. Others turn and join the fight. Just absolute chaos. People running, people leaving, people shooting each other. It's fun. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, like I'm imagining a shot, like like a shot that's pointed at the skies over Coruscant. We see like in the distance the flares of ships exploding. Then we pan down to uh, Ben as he wanders the halls of the Jedi Temple. And his father calls out to him. Um, they have the scene from the film pretty much beat for beat. I mean, there's, I can't improve anything from that moment. And he's redeemed. And he, I don't, uh, except he doesn't toss his lightsaber in this one because uh, he needs it for later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, otherwise it's exactly the same scene and he is redeemed. So so meanwhile, Poe is trying to figure out what, what he can actually do with this transmitter. The, the first transmission was only to the to localized, but then he realizes that if he, he can broadcast it on all the first order um, propaganda frequencies, essentially using through the ship, using all the other ships. He can broadcast essentially to the entire galaxy or anywhere that that a first order ship is, which is pretty much everywhere right now. He broadcasts the uh, broadcasts to the entire galaxy. Luke's final stand on crate and then gives up, you know, this wonderful impassioned speech to the galaxy about, you know, courage and sparks of resistance and hope and whatnot uh, could even, you know, you, Use the use the line. You know, we are the spark that burns the first order down. All that good stuff. You know, as he's coming to the last few seconds of his broadcast, it's cut short as an entire fleet of like a dozen star destroyers come out of hyperspace one by one over them. And the Hux is there at the bridge, and he's very pleased with himself. And a massive space battle ensues, and the good guys are very clearly losing. So very similar to those, the darkest moments over Exegol, where Poe's like, you know, I'm sorry, my friends. I thought we could do it. Um, they're very clearly going to lose. Um, Rake comes into the fight and she flies straight for Hux's flagship, landing and fighting her way to the bridge. She's centered and at peace, uh, fighting her way through waves of stormtroopers with a grace we've never yet seen from her. But when she gets to the bridge, uh, the Knights of an attacker, um, there's probably more than five in this version. There's a lot of them. And they're, they're all also force sensitive. Um, and she can't fight them all. She's eventually beaten down. <laughs> she gets a beat down similar to the, what Ben gets in the movie. Then Ryzen about to kill her. A tall, dark, handsome man with a mop of beautiful, luscious hair strolls in mm. and they join together and kill everybody. 
again, similar to what happens in the movie. Nice. It's romantic. Oh, totally. Uh, <laughs> um, meanwhile, uh, Finn and Poe come up with a plan to use their comm- commandeered Star Destroyer as a liter- literal battering ram to try and punch a hole through the blockade to, to, to make a hole for the rest of the, of the resistance uh, fighters to escape. They aim um, and they aim for Hawk's flagship, not knowing that Ray is there. Meanwhile, we cut back to Ray and Ben on the flagship. Uh, they're still fighting the, the Knights of Ren. Hux orders that all the Star Destroyers fire on Finn and Poe's ship. Um, they're taking a lot of damage, and it doesn't look like they're going to make it. Um, then, at, right as they're about, it looks like they're about to blow up. All of the ships in the galaxy show up pretty much in a shot, exactly like the way they do it at Exegol. And um, like I don't know. There will there should be people that we recognize there. Like you could have, I think uh, a good uh, a obvious thing would be um, Kaz and the Colossus. Uh, you, you know, you have the ghost. Like just we we would want to cut to a couple pilot, you know, a couple pilots things that could be you know total strangers, but also I want a few familiar faces in there, kind of connecting it all. You know, they're all here. They they heard they heard um, they heard Poe's message, and inspired by Luke's final stand, they're here to fight. So then, the, obviously, the, t- the tide of battle is turning. Uh, ben and Ray finally kill the last of the Knights of Ren. Hux tries to bluster, uh, but that but Ben casually cuts him down. And meanwhile, on another ship, uh, Pride is blown to Kingdom Come, much like he is in the movie. Mm, that beautiful slow-mo shot. Uh, it looks like they've won, uh, but Finn and Poe's ship is still barreling toward Ray and Ben's, uh, and is too damaged to stop or turn. Uh, Ray and Finn sense each other, and both sides start panicking, but it doesn't look like there's any way to avoid a collision. Uh, Ray tries to reach out. Uh, you know, she's absolutely desperate. She tries to reach out with the force to stop the ship, uh, but it's not working. But then Ben comes, lays his hand on his shoulder, and the, together they join their strength uh, and reach out towards the oncoming ship. Uh, they're able to turn it just slightly. They don't collide, but like they, they kind of these two star destroyers like sideswipe each other as they come by. Uh, then Finn and Finn and Poe and company they're able to get to escape pods um, and hop out as the ship starts to explode. Meanwhile, the rest of the first order is soundly routed. And I want to see, I want to show a lot of them surrounding, like a lot of the stormtroopers just laying down their arms. You know, they don't need, need all be slaughtered. Then back on Ray and Ben's ship or the, their Pox's flagship, uh, Ray and Ben embrace. Uh, but then, uh, you know, and they can have a nice, sweet, tender moment. They don't need a kiss. Um, we need definitive. Do they, or do they not? They do not. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, then, uh, you know, Finn and Poe's escape pods land on the ship and Ray hears her friends approaching. She goes to meet them. And when she turns around, Ben is gone. Uh, so you know, post-climax, you have uh, Poe offers Ray and Finn a place in the new government they're going to have to build. But she feels that the force is guiding her, her down another path. And, you know, he accepts her choice, kind of, I guess his little arc is coming to trust, you know, trust the force and not just his, his own uh, mundane means. Um, but, uh, Rose and Connix kind of join him and they're going to they're going to go rebuild. You know, I, I don't have a lot for Rose to do. Obviously, we could fill in a lot of little moments for her, but, but, but she's more just kind of in kind of like leader, a leadership role in, within the resistance for this for the movie. So, you know, everyone goes off on their own separate ways. You know, Ray and Finn together and then Poe and Rose and Connix together. Uh, Chewie goes with, uh, with Ray and Finn. Then the epilogue is a while later, an indeterminate amount of time. Ray has begun training new Jedi on a lovely green planet. The green is very important. Finn is there. Jan is there. And then also, I, I want, for all, for the students, I want there to be a, a really kind of wild assortment of people. Like, 
there could be like even like elderly people, like young children, like a whole the whole age range, essentially showing that unlike the Jedi, they're not they're not trying to keep the force only within people that they could you know indoctrinate from you know from infancy on up. Chewie's also there; he's everyone's fun uncle. Uh, Ray and Finn are a couple. Um, like I'm not, I don't like. It's not because I need a romance. The main reason I want them as a couple together, well, aside from them just them just obviously loving each other and being wonderful together, main reason is to show. I need just a vi- a visual way in the last you know two minutes of the film to show that number one, the, this new Jedi Order is not only accepting infants, and two, they're allowed to have relationships. Um, just you know, very quick visual storytelling to sh- to show that they've changed. Also, Broom Kid is there. He's one of the he's one of the students. Nice. Yeah, as she, you know, as she stands in the field training, she kind of looks, she she senses something and looks over her shoulder, and uh, Kylo is standing there. Uh, you know, he's on some distant planet. He's like like a, a grungy, I guess, like Strider, uh, like Aragorn from Lord of the Rings and Fellowship of the Ring. Um, kind of get up. He's on some backwater planet. You know, he's wandering. He's a nobody, but he's you know at, finally at peace with himself for the first time in the series. They share a sad smile. I'm thinking like a Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone at the end of La La Land. Mm, that's exactly what I was saying in my head. Yeah, they look at each other. You know, they smile. Then each they each turn away from each other. Ray to her students and Luke and uh, and Kylo to his path of redemption. Like have it mirroring their final moments of connection in the Last Jedi, and that's the end. There you go. I right, any questions or things you need cleared up? Uh, I actually really like that. Um, I'm trying to think of of questions. Trying to uh, build this climax, I re- I really started to sympathize with uh, JJ Ontario over the problem of not having a big bad at the end of this film. I was like, oh, so that's why they brought back Palpatine. You need someone to fight. That's, that's what I was saying. I was like, whenever you... Because so, I didn't think that you were going to include the Knights of Ren. Mm. Because I know that, you know, like prior... You're saying they're not really involved in the story. And whenever you include them, I'm like, I bet he's including them for a final fight because he's redeeming Well, them. yes, but even then you need a final fight, kind of a, a final great effort after them, which is what I have the Star Destroyer. Like, I've always mocked the kind of the, the, the pulling Star Destroyers out of the sky, but I, I hope the way I do it could be subtle enough to where, you know, they, they don't actually pull out of the sky. They just barely alter his course. You know, it still crashes. But I, I wanted you know, a great effort between where Ben and Ray could you know join together through the force like i I, mean, I don't want the word dyad to ever be used but essentially the same thing where they together through their connection and their emotional their emotional connection are stronger than each you know than any one jedi so we're pushing star destroyers out of the sky and i hate myself <laughs> <laughs> you've become the very thing you swore to destroy exactly uh, i like that it's focused on saving her you know saving finn and poe her family and you know we get that you know that happens and her and Ben connect together so at least I think I think it works thematically even if it's I just like there was no way and the thing is like Star Wars we're so used to having that big villain fight at the end and I I just I did not want to do that again so uh, any questions at all are you ready to start yours um yeah I think I'm ready to get in mind that I'm kicking myself now for not including Coruscant in mine I think. I, I guess to give my own disclaimer for mine. Well, about Coruscant, I I know Coruscant was used in Trevoros, but that's not why I use it. I use it because I wanted I wanted the Je- I wanted our Ben's uh, redemption to happen in the Jedi Temple, so it kind of came out of that, not just because um Trevor used it. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't have used it because Trevor used it. I would if 
if I was thinking, I would have used it just because Coruscant's always been my favorite planet. Yeah. I would like to. I And I really, I really wanted to get some, I found a, like, a way that I, I know that if I had seen it in the movie, I would smile at, like, just an inclusion of some prequel imagery that I'll get to. Yeah, so, like, I, I think, like, as far as address, the way my, I think, the way I think mine is more faithful to, um, to The Last Jedi is kind of addressing, like, I, I think it's very important that when the, the trilogy ended with a definitive statement on who the Jedi are now and what they will be in the future. Right. That was one of the big disappointments of Rise of Skywalker because, like, well, if she starts the Jedi Order again, is she going to make all the same mistakes? So, like, I kind of – I wanted to dispel the deep fear of the dark side. Uh, going uh, The Yoda's arc in uh, Season 6 of The Clone Wars, it's kind of a very similar scene, you know, where he – where he's fighting his dark side, you know, where he, at first like, I don't recognize you. You're not me. And later, later on, he has to accept like, yes, that darkness is actually in me and I have to fight it every day. I kind of wanted to, to move past the, the, the abject fear and terror of the dark side just to something more, I think more balanced. I didn't, I didn't quite go all gray Jedi. I wanted to, but uh, I stopped myself from going that far. Uh, I, I mean, I think that works. I, I, I feel like I see a, you know, a thread being continued across that trilogy. Yeah. I think it's cool. It killed me that I couldn't find a way to include, include the, uh, the lightsaber pass though. <laughs> oh yeah. That's something I had to include. So, so I guess before I read through mine, uh, I'm really going to try to like cover all of my bases, uh, and give myself a huge disclaimer because <laughs> like I said, I chose a lot of things to say this has to happen. So I did include Sidious um, the hardest thing for me, because I was like, I, I mean, cause I, I wasn't as creative as you were in think in finding a way to maintain Ray's arc of, of fear and overcoming and confronting that fear without that, which actually makes a lot of sense now, but I've already, <laughs> I've already written my treatment, but so what I, I wanted to include that, but at the same time, I really I really liked what The Last Jedi did with her being a nobody. And I tried my best to find a, a middle ground in a way that it, like that I hope isn't as like eye-rolling as like they were nobody. They chose to be. Because I, <laughs> I do not like that line at all. Um, and so there, there are several things where if I were writing from scratch, this isn't... Um, like this isn't what it would be obviously because I I wouldn't be using the Rise of Skywalker as a, a template. Uh, another thing I want to say is that I kind of picked the handful of things that I I wanted to fix and other things that I would let stay knowing that that would still mean that some of my issues with the Rise of Skywalker would stand and I would I made sure that they were things that I would be more okay with standing. Like like I said on rewatch Pacing issues bothered me a little bit less. And in this version, I would extend the runtime probably closer to around like almost, if not three hours like Endgame did. So I would keep a very similar pacing, but I'd, I'd allow more time just to, just so it doesn't feel as jarring. And then the other thing is this, so this version would probably still have pacing issues and it would still feel overstuffed because I still included like almost all of the new characters, except for Janna. Uh, I couldn't find a way to work her in. Oh, I just realized mine doesn't include Babu Frick. And I'm sad now. Oh, what have you I'm done? So ashamed. He, he's just one of the random rebels on Coruscant. <laughs> His own tiny little blaster. Have him just be like a, 
an already member of the the rebellion at the beginning, and then he can help them with the, the transmission stuff. He, he's riding in a basket on Claude's back. There you go. It's and it's incredible. So that's all. That's all that. This is definitely still going to have some issues, decisions that I wouldn't have made, but decisions that I decided almost for my benefit, just so I didn't have a, a you know a blank slate. And was like, okay, I've got to get these things. Um, so that being said. I guess I'll go ahead and go through mine. This would open with shots of Star Destroyers over Mustafar. Um, oh, you do it all screenplay-like. Okay. <laughs> oh, that that's... So, uh, yeah, this version... Like, the way I wrote this would be like, I have I have certain scenes that get very specific. Uh, and, like, down to, like, oh, and then we cut to this. But then I have other moments where I'm like, oh, and this plays out very similar to the movie, blah, blah, blah. And so it's like whenever I found a scene that I would really latch onto, I'm like, okay, I'm writing this scene. And then there are other moments where I'm really like, ah, we, we, I'll figure this out. This is a draft. Um, so, so yeah, there'll, there'll, there's definitely going to be some scenes that are more specific than others. Uh, and certain area, like gray areas that I will acknowledge, I haven't completely figured out yet. Partially because, and mostly, mostly because I put off writing this way too long. Um, so, yeah, we open with shots of Star Destroyers over Mustafar. Hux is trying to hold a meeting with other Imperial bureaucrats because they are awesome, uh, but is having to answer questions as to why Kylo is not there. Uh, I would want this to be obvious that he is trying to put on a very leadership kind of face uh, and is frustrated because the problems that the other members here are having are with Kylo's lack of presence and they're raising questions that are, have more to do with Kylo than him like they're saying well this is a problem this is a problem um and they're kind of directing it at hux but hux and which only makes hux hate kylo more because kylo is making decisions um and avoiding the heat because he's never around um we would this would probably be a year maybe a bit more after the events uh of the last jedi and in this version the first order resources are actually beginning to wear thin due to kylo's pursuit of something enigmatic that nobody really knows about they're their scheme or tactics right now are dangerously relying on fear to keep certain systems in check uh, and hoping that they don't actually that some systems don't actually try to poke at the first order to test they're just hoping that they think they're still really strong um, and they're using they're amassing bulks like the majority of their resources in certain key areas in just full force like shows of force to try to mask uh, their dwindling resources make it look like they're more powerful than they are and just really hoping other systems don't try to rebel the knights of ren are tasked with resource gathering and it would be explained that that's where they've been in the previous films um, and they feel a lack of support from kylo ren uh, as the meeting escalates kylo enters the room with the sith holocron and tells them they have a new heading uh, when asked where he's been and what it is we would then cut to a flashback of uh, essentially the scene that starts the rise of Skywalker of him cutting down um, different stormtroopers, but now are not stormtroopers, whoever he was cutting down there. Um, and now because we established that we're over Mustafar, we actually know that he's down there on Mustafar. Um, he then finds the hologram, the holocron as he does. And he hears a distorted voice of Palpatine, uh, Palpatine saying uh, in a very creepy and weak kind of voice saying to come to Moraband where all will be made clear. Oh, that's another criticism I have about Rise of Skywalker. Why did they create a new Sith planet? They have Sith planets. 
I know, which is all. Well, so I'm still going to include Exegol, but I I want. Well, then I hate but, yours too. <laughs> no, no. So it's this one. I, I I guess I'll just get to it. There's a way that I that I hope that I included Moribond and Exegol in a way that made some sort makes some sort of sense. Um, this would cut to Ray and essentially the same scene of her introduction where she's trying to feel the presence of the Jedi. Um, and then she goes through the training and things play out very similarly. Uh, I decided to just, you know, keep most of the Leia scenes they had. I feel like I could, even though I don't really like those, if they, if they handled some other things better, uh, I could deal with those. So I just decided this would be a, a critique that I'd be willing to live with. Um, after this, though, another scene would be added of her kind of venting to Rose and Dominic Monaghan's character, who'd be who in this would be established as like kind of a, a Jedi or General Force user scholar, um, but someone not Force sensitive, um, and it's kind of his job to help interpret the books that Ray brought. Um, but she's venting about how she can't connect to the Jedi, uh, and she tells. Rose kind of in secret that every time she feels like she's reaching the Jedi, she begins to feel overwhelmed with kind of some sense of pain uh, and feelings, vague feelings of deception. Um, and she says that if what she's feeling are the last moments of the Jedi, then maybe it is best that she's not able to reach them. Rey feels as if she can't tell Leia about these fears, though, because Luke gave his life so that the Jedi can be reborn. Uh, Rose tells Rey that if she doesn't feel the call to the Jedi then that maybe she should help Poe and Finn and the rest of the troops. Uh, but Rey says, regardless of her feelings of what's going on, she owes it to Leia to keep trying. Um, and then I would hope that we had maybe some footage of just uh, Leia sitting down looking very, very weary and try to composite that and get a shot of, of Rey looking over at, at Leia, who just seems really tired. Maybe they would have different takes of her sitting down and looking at the screen of, you know, all the the people who died from The Last Jedi, uh, a take that might look different enough. So, and I would really rely on Daisy's acting to kind of sell a lot of the mother-daughter relationship that the movie goes for, just kind of in these kind of looks. Uh, Rose would then speculate about uh, how brave what Finn and Poe must be doing, and then we would cut to uh, the hollow chest game of them on the <laughs> Falcon. Uh, and this scene would be, this scene would be very similar Um to what it was initially, except there's a much more of a lull, and they'd be talking about how surprisingly quiet the First Order is out here on the some of the farther reaches of space where you'd expect they'd be trying to create footholds. Um, they're scheduled for a certain amount of time patrolling since they're, the limited resources of the Resistance can't afford several trips to the same place, so they have to be out there for a certain amount of time because they probably won't be able to come back. Uh, they then get a message from someone claiming to be a spy and sends them information that he claims was taken directly from a Sith holocron and tells him that he hopes they can de decrypt it. He says it leads to a planet that evidently holds something key to the war. He also tells them that the First Order is far less substantial than they think, and due to that, they may be able to uh, have time to get to the planet if they can de decrypt its location before the First Order does. Um, a patrol of TIE fighters intercept the signal, though, and we get a similar chase scene uh, that we got in the film. Poe and them get back with the Falcon and he argues with Rey as kind of happens in the movie uh, and then a certain amount of time would pass and we'd get a scene of uh, Dominic Monaghan's character decrypting the information 
Um, and he's applauded for his knowledge, though he laments not actually being able to have the force, um, you know, kind of talking about how knowledge of all of this feels rather useless if he doesn't have an actual connection with the force. Uh, he's able to find the coordinates, but the planet is so far into unreached and unexplored space that in order to get there, they must make several stops for fuel and repairs um, if they're going to be able to reach it. Uh, unwilling to send the last remnant of the Resistance on a risky mission like this, the group goes alone in the Falcon, which would give us a very similar scene of the, the departure that we got in the movie. Um, Dom and Rose stay behind to continue to feed them. I think you mean Beaumont. Beaumont, there you go. Um, so, and I wonder how much people who hate the idea of fuel in The Last Jedi would also just roll their eyes <laughs> here. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed a lot of the locations that we went to and especially on rewatch i really liked the kind of galaxy trotting uh adventure i just found the reasons we were going places contrived and like not that the reasons i'm giving here aren't contrived but i kind of i i prefer something more simple i guess than the random like the, the kind of ochi goose chase they go on and if we just say this is an incredibly far-reaching uh trip now we've established that, you know, fuel is a resource and we know that they're limited on resources. The Falcon is getting old. Kind of give a reason of why we're going to need to continue to be making stops because this is just really out there. Cut to uh, Kylo arriving on Moraband uh, and he keeps hearing the voice of Palpatine who leads him into a very trippy... Uh, so this would be, look a lot like Moraband from from uh, the episodes of the animated series. Um and the voice of Palpatine would lead him into a very Rebels-esque looking weird kind of door. So is, is, in this version, is he every voice Kylo's ever heard inside his head? Uh, no, not, not every voice. So I, I found something, oh, and I, I should say this, I'm glad you bring that up. Something that I was, maybe more so than any other thing, uh, trying to fix here, was trying to make motive like villain motivations work across the sequel trilogy because i think despite the like i wanted it to continue the order in an interesting way i didn't like ray palpatine i think maybe the biggest most like the, at least the most immediate flaw of the rise of skywalker is kind of making the overall plots and motivations of the previous two somewhat nonsensical so i had to try to find a way of maintaining Snoke's motivations across the previous two. What you do is you, you know, you hold your cursor over Palpatine, you highlight it, and press delete. <laughs> well, maybe I should have. But, nonetheless, uh, I made certain decisions here that I'm somewhat okay with. Um, so, Kylo arrives on Moraband, uh, Moraband uh, and he is led through this door. And as he walks through the door he comes out on another planet and this is on Exegol. Um, and so essentially what this door functions as is a shortcut. Um, Kylo is going to like have immediate access between this gap, this planet that is just further than anybody has uh, to the known, according to the known galaxies traveled. So like the doors in Dr. Strange in the sanctum. Similar to those, but I want it to, it's like the, the moments in rebels, you know, where they ride the loaf wolves. Oh, yeah. And they're able to, so it's like that, except instead of across a singular planet, it's essentially across multiple planets. Dude, people who don't watch the TV shows are going to be so lost listening to this. <laughs> yeah, well, screw them. I really love the weird, I, 
I started to embrace more of the trippy stuff from the shows as they went on. And as I rewatched some of the episodes, I'm like, this is actually kind of cool. And I really liked a lot of the weirdness on, on uh, Lothal. And so I was like, well, we already have force portals that definitely cover, you know, am- amounts of space. I'll just extend that even further to where it's connecting planets. So then this scene, like, he arrives kind of on this weird cave on the outskirts of the temple that we see as is. And I wanted to include this location because I just think it's too awesome. Um, And this scene plays out very similar to his finding Palpatine at the beginning of The Rise of Skywalker. He finds him. He's very gross. What's the location that he travels to from Orband? Did I miss that? He He gets to Exegol. Okay, okay. So he arrives. It's kind of like, I mean, I guess the visual of it isn't super important. It's a very, very small maybe just like a couple rocks thrown on top of each other, little portal that he emerges from on the outskirts of the huge temple that we see. Um, the voice continues to uh, lead him towards, or into the temple as it did, and he finds Palpatine uh, looking much the same he did. Uh, and I would like, you know, I think they do a pretty good job of, in the the Rise of Skywalker, of making him look like he's kind of barely holding on to life. And I'd maybe want to emphasize that a little bit more. Uh, and then, so I've got this big block of information that I'm about to give. What I haven't parsed through is how exactly I want to get this all, because I don't want this scene to be this enormous exposition dump. I want I would get some of this information across here. I might find other ways to splice it in later in the film. Just have them go to the opera. Oh, that's a good idea. In fact, Palpatine has set himself up a little opera right in the middle of this, <laughs> uh, and he's just made some of the Sith Eternal handle it. I'm just imagining like an out of focus shot of like Sith Eternal in their robes just kind of bumbling around <laughs> trying to mimic an opera. Oh, it's incredible. Uh, but anyways, so this is the part, this is the best I could do. Like I said, because I made the decision, Palpatine's alive, that's just not that that makes the movie better, but if I'm forcing myself, I'm trying to root it in some sort of star wars lore um i don't like the idea of clones uh and so what i would say is that uh kind of like maul palpatine survived off of just holding on to pure hatred and he ended up trying to absorb some some kind of force energy from the kyber crystals of the death star as it exploded uh and he his his near lifeless body uh was in the remains of the Death Star as it lands on the moon, as it does in The Rise of Skywalker. I'm pretty sure I saw him disintegrate. No, he you, he disappears into the glow. Okay, okay. You don't, you don't see it. You don't see it. Trust me. I guess just like we saw the Death Star disintegrate, but actually they're in huge pieces. So exactly, you thought you saw it. Just wait for the just wait for the new new special edition that makes sure that you see some big chunks flying. But anyways. So, uh, through hate and trying to latch on to some, you know, force energy from all of the, the mass amount of kyber crystals, he lands in the wreckage. Uh, his body is discovered uh, in the remains of the Death Star, and he was taken to Exegol. Okay, so I don't, you, may, you may explain this later, but what is the Sith Eternal cult in your version? Like, was this something that was already in place, part of Palpatine, part of the Empire? Is it something entirely separate from the Empire? This is where I cheated and just said a full script would explain the Sith Eternal in greater detail. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to cheat there. 
and just I'm not comfortable with not explaining it, but I also like I'm because me as a viewer, I'm not opposed to the idea of Sith Eternal. I'm opposed to it being like here, look it up in the visual dictionary. I if you're going to introduce something, introduce it. So somehow we would, I would find way, bits of dialogue that would explain who the Sith, Sith Eternal are. And I also, I kind of like the name Sith Eternal, so I would probably keep it. We'd learn more about the Sith Eternal. Oh yeah, so I did write that, I answered that. Uh, we'd learn more about the Sith Eternal, uh, who they are through bits of Rose and Dom, as they interpret the Holocron data and cross-reference it with um, references to it in the Jedi text they have. Uh, he tells Kylo of a contingency plan he had put in place in case of... Uh, traitor's act from vader um so he had already uh, suspected some potential change in vader and so he began amassing an armada in the deepest of unexplored space um that sidious knew about because of the portal on morban um sidious needs a new body to possess though because while his armada continues to grow his body is decaying and he can only maintain life for so long uh, members of the Sith Eternal offered themselves to him as potential hosts, among them being Snoke. Uh, Sidious says that he could not down, like, obviously not this term, but he would say, you know, he could not downgrade his body. If he's going to return, he's not going to return um, in the form of somebody lesser than him. Um, so instead, he tasks Snoke to act as an emperor-like figurehead uh, in a fake war in the galaxy, uh, so the First Order War in this would essentially just be, or the, the idea of it would have just been an artificial war designed to draw out powerful Force users as potential hosts for Sidious. Um, Sidious and Snoke both assumed it would end up being Luke, um, so we get to hold onto the line that Snoke has, you know, Skywalker, I thought. Um, Snoke goes out as this kind of Emperor figurehead, but his pride is hurt by being essentially called lesser than Sidious and an unsuitable host. And so after he gets a taste of the power and leading the First Order, he ends up assuming full control and ceases all contact with Exegol. Uh, and I kind of like this scene, or this idea, because it makes the scene of... So did he seduce Kylo as a way of getting his own apprentice so he could then continue the Sith tradition of offing their masters? Yes. Uh, and I also like this because to me it adds an extra bit of irony to Snoke putting Kylo down for being a Vader wannabe um, while Snoke is functioning as a Sidious wannabe. Mm. Um, I also think that maintains the integrity of the throne room scene. You know, he does have mode, like he actually, what began as a fake war, Snoke is now treating as a real war. He wants, uh, you know, he, all of his motivations there stay in check. So, so how is all this coming across? Is this all happening during the opera scene? Uh, so like I said, I, I think a lot of this right here would be, and maybe it would begin kind of like the way the flashbacks in The Last Jedi do, where it starts off with dialogue and then we just transition into like okay. a flashback and it may just be kind of a, an extended montage kind of thing. Uh, the younger Snoke with hair and... Oh, he's very handsome and stuff. Uh, yeah, Snoke poisons the heart of Kylo and uses him to draw out... Uh, so Kylo is essentially for Snoke a tool to draw out powerful force users so he can put them down, withholding suitable hosts for the Emperor. Um, Sidious could try to win over Kylo, or during this ex explanation, Sidious would try to win over Kylo by pointing out the irony in Snoke's attempted manipulation, given Snoke being himself a, a, a puppet. And I would get in a really fanservice-y ironic from Sidious as he <laughs> explains that. Uh, 
Sidious tells Kylo he must kill Rey as... And so I'll, I'll elaborate on this. This is my attempt to satisfy JJ's Rey Palpatine and my Rey nobody liking. Uh, Sidious tells Kylo he must kill Rey as Sidious senses that she is his granddaughter. Um, uh, the, the child of offspring he abandoned to kind of save face as a politician um, who couldn't reveal he had illegitimate children. So he disowns them. And because he knows his own children were kind of tossed off and she comes from nobody, there, there's a level of assumption um, Sidious is making. He says that she would be the only one to have the power that could stand in uh, Kylo's way. So he sends Kylo to capture her and bring her to Exegol, where he says she must be killed on Exegol um, in a kind of Sith ritualistic execution. Uh, Sidious gives Kylo a new TIE interceptor, uh, and this is kind of my acceptable dip into very convenient plot things where um, this is a very upgraded TIE interceptor that is able to travel um, towards the First Order fleet and meet them in relatively short time as they're making their much slower march towards Exegol. So what is Kylo's reasoning for not, for put, placing himself under the Emperor? It is So this is the, uh, this is the, the resources, this... Um, it's very similar to Rise of Skywalker, where uh, Sidious is offering him uh, all of the like this huge army, which may work okay. more so in this case because it, it, this would establish the First Order is you know not what they were. They are kind of running at the end of of their resources. So the offer of uh, and this would just be an armada of Death Star or of Star Destroyers, not the Death Star powered ones. I wouldn't do that again. It would just be so. Th- th- this would have stuff. That was would have been built after Snoke cut off contact. Uh, no, it would have it would have been things that were still being built, um, but would like Sidious decide would have decided not to send this big armada that he has out there. He would just kind of watch the events from afar and see what he, if he can manipulate whatever happens. So, is the first order something that was one hundred percent created by Snoke after he had rebelled? Uh, the the first order, as we see here, is just kind of the resources Sidious deemed would be necessary to create this artificial war. So he he would send Snoke back into the lar- galaxy at large um, from Exegol with a partial amount, a small partial amount of of it. So, so I guess my question would be like, how does this avoid the problem of why did? Palpatine create the first order when he had a hundred Death Stars at his disposal. Because he he wants to whenever he comes back to the galaxy, he wants to come back in full force. Um, he doesn't want to expend any more resources than he has to, and he also doesn't want to give Snoke any more power than Sidious deems necessary. Like Sidious wants to consolidate as much of the resource as he can and send Snoke away with only just as much as he thinks would be necessary to create this artificial war. Sidious's real motivation would be creating a war big enough that could draw out potential hosts. Okay. So uh, Sidious gives him this new TIE interceptor uh, that is able to reach the First Order fleet. He also sends him with Admiral Pride, who uh, would be established as helped kind of salvage his body back in Return of the Jedi because he served him during the war. Um, then we cut back to the Falcon. Uh, low on fuel, the Falcon has to stop on the desert planet of Pasana for supplies. Things play out here very similarly as uh, as they do. 
where Kylo finds her through the Force Time connection. Um, it's just this time they're only there for supplies. Uh, they they race back to the Falcon um, with very limited amount of supplies uh, because they were cut short. And a lot of things happen as they do. They are inter- inter- intercepted by Kylo and the Knights of Ren. Uh, Rey destroys what is now the new TIE Interceptor, uh, which startles Kylo given just the speed and strength of this. He kind of starts feeling intimidated by her ability to just jump in and slice it in half. Um, Poe and Finn see that Chewie is being captured on one of two transport ships and are able to to get Rey's attention and that she knows that he's captured. Uh, we see this scene from the perspective of Poe and Finn who see Chewie getting on a different one so there's no fake death out. But Rey is not able to hear it and so they're trying to get to Rey to explain to her what's going on. Um, but they are being attacked by the uh, Knights of Ren. Uh as they try to get there, so they're they're kind of slow on the move. Ray and Kylo uh, get into a very similar force tussle over the ship. As I said, we know it's the wrong one, though. Um, the explosion does uh, scatter debris, though, nearly hitting Poe and Finn. Uh, and Panic Ray runs to Finn and Poe and just throws her lightsaber and decapitates the the couple of members of Knights of Ren that were pursuing her are pursuing Poe and, and Finn. Um, and then they're able to board the Falcon. Uh, and Poe and Ray end up arguing more about, uh, like Poe is saying, uh, you know, she's not used to to the actual battle, and she's, you know, she almost killed them, and she thought that Chewie could have been there, and if he was on it, then she would have killed him. Um, and Ray is saying that he's completely mishandling this as well, essentially trying to just deflect, but she's calling in a question his leadership. Da, or Beaumont and Rose contact them and tell them that they've cleared up more data but it is in Sith text and that they need 3PO to translate so the same issue occurs they have the same reasoning to need to get to Kajimi um, and they decide to try rescuing Chewie uh, together once they restock on Kajimi and translate um, banking on uh, the idea that he they would be able to still find time. I just realized that I didn't conclude uh R2-D2, C-3PO, or BB-8 at all. <laughs> the droids never actually... Like, I, I was focused entirely on themes and emotions, and the droids don't exactly have a lot of that, so they'll be rolling around in the background doing <laughs> stuff and things. They'd be hilarious, just trust me. Uh, I really like what C-3PO like, has here, so I included a lot of, like... I would have hoped that a lot of his humor in Pisano would come across, and the same thing with the memory wipe. I get to include... Um, why am I going blank? On, uh, on the name of the little engineer buddy. Dio or Babu Freak? Babu Freak, yeah. So I get to include Babu Freak. So they agree that they're going to get what they need from Kajimi and then go to rescue Han, or not Han, uh, go and rescue Chewie. But uh, in typical Luke kind of father figure fashion, um, she steals a ship and leaves to rescue Chewie alone, um, fearing that if they wait too long, um, it may be too late. Uh, the information they're able to translate uh from Beaumont is that the Emperor is still alive, so they find that out prior to Rey. Um, Rey gets there, she gets, she finds Kylo's room with the Vader helmet. This scene is very similar. Um, she has the same force battle with Kylo. Kylo is on Kijimi because he, he sensed that they were heading there, but he acted too swiftly and was not able to perceive that she left them to go back to his ship. So he's on Kijimi while she's on his ship. He tells her through this force vision, uh, so it's through this force vision right here, is where he tells her that she's a Palpatine uh, and that he's under orders to kill her. He says that he will do this unless she agrees to join him, in which case um, he says they could go and kill Sidious together uh, if she would join him. She shuts herself off from the Force 
when she finds out, when she's told that she's a Palpatine, uh, she releases Chewie's cell, but uh, this part would emphasize that she's far less useful right now, being cut off from the Force, she's having to rely solely on on physical things. Um, so she and Chewie are trying to escape and get to an area where Poe and Finn could rescue them uh, safely. Uh, the Falcon arrives and rescue, like we have a very similar rescue sequence of them leaving and going through all of those pretty blue halls, um, learning Hux is a spy. In some roundabout way, I know the logistics would be different because of where people are, um, but in some way, this is where we'd find out about Hux being the spy and Pride killing him as a uh, would be a scene that would happen very sim- similarly. Um, however, as they escape, Ray would find a way to kind of fake a death, like rig some explosion or, or make it look as if she's dead. Um, so she can slip away in a stolen TIE fighter to Oct-2. She had to fake her death knowing that if uh, they think, if they didn't think she was dead, they'd stay and go looking for her, but she needs them to be able to leave. Um, Poe sends on the Falcon, there's really all, it's a sad scene, they're really sad about Rey, Um, but they decide that regardless, they still have to continue the mission, and if the Emperor's back, somebody has to stop him. So Poe sends a recorded message to Leia, um, it's recorded, not uh, a live conversation, which means they could—they only need kind of reaction shots from Leia. They don't need to try to find some way to have a stilted conversation happen. It would just be Poe saying um, that they're going to continue uh, their journey to Exegol, but they will wait just on the fringe of the system, uh, hoping that the galaxy will rally behind them. Uh, but at a certain time that they were, they're going to enter Exegol to try to kill the Emperor themselves, regardless of if anybody shows up. Uh, and I, I want to have a line. So Lando would be on Pisana. I don't know exactly why he's there and what help he has. He's there for the party. There you go. I I buy that. Um, Poe kind of says to him, you know, like he's bring he's selling the desperation of their mission, um, and he's kind of lamenting the fact that you know it seems as if Luke's final stand had no effect on the galaxy. Uh, and Lando says there'd be no way to know for sure unless they're called upon. You know, like you, somebody he would he would be saying somebody has to lead them to know if they're really there. Um, you can't just just do it. I could say good people will fight if we lead them. Exactly. There you go. So he kind of incorporates it because I really like a lot of those lines. So that's the sentiment. There is is Poe is acting as if Luke's last stand um, amounted to nothing, but Lando kind of pushes back and says that we can only know what what Luke achieved whenever you actually call upon them and try to lead them. Um, so, so that's what happened there. And so Poe and Finn and Chewie and all of the, they're all on the Falcon waiting on the outskirts of Exegol for a certain amount of time. Uh, in after which, regardless of who shows up, they're going to Exegol to try to find some way to kill the emperor. Um, Ray travels to Octu. Um, she finds Luke on Octu and tells him that she's a Palpatine. Uh, Luke tells her that Palpatine cannot imagine that the Force is bigger than himself, so he's only assuming that she must be his granddaughter in order to be as powerful as he perceives she is. Uh, Rey denies this for sure that this is who she is uh, because of the darkness that she feels within her. To her, it's the only imaginable explanation. Um, Luke says that even if she is related, it shouldn't matter. He says that he was an heir of Vader, uh, to which she replies, so is Ben, um, to kind of rebut his logic. Uh, she says he was right about the Jedi who allowed Palpatine's uh, rise to power and the fall of Anakin and that Luke repeated the same mistake as he said he did uh, in creating Kylo and that she will not be a part of this kind of familial struggle that keeps the galaxy in turmoil. I think this kind of gives 
a nice parallel to The Last Jedi, where in The Last Jedi, she's relying Luke's on Luke's actions from The Return of the Jedi as guidance. And now she's just going through the Luke's motions of The Last Jedi, where she's still clinging to the past as some sort of track to stay on. Um, so now she's just functioning as old grumpy Luke. Luke says that if she truly wants to see who she is, she should confront herself um, by going to... Uh, by going back into the forest cave uh, in a very, like... It, it'd, be, it'd be similar to uh, the scene with her confronting herself in The Rise of Skywalker, but with the forest cave and everything, I'd try to... It, it'd be more clear that it's something similar to what is happening on Empire Strikes Back is happening. Um, she goes into the, the cave and ends up emerging, because I've realized I've got two different moments... Hopefully using the portal on Moraband justifies it here. But this portal would uh, kind of open her up into uh, the remains of the Death Star through some sort of weird Star Wars-y connection. Don't worry about it. But I'm worried. I'm so worried, man. Don't worry about it. Um, okay, so yeah. She, she ends up coming out in the remains. She confronts herself uh, a la Empire Strikes Back as she clas- clashes sabers with her dark self. However, as the lightsabers clash, it is then revealed that the red lightsaber she's now striking is revealed to be Kylo, who felt her traveling to, uh, who felt her emerging uh, on this Yavin moon, and so he travels there to confront her. Uh, they do battle, uh, and he tells her, he continues to try to offer her his hand and tells her about the portal on Moraband and how um, if she joins him, they could travel back before anybody gets there and kill Sidious together. Uh, Ray tells him that Sidious is using Kylo to try to get to her and that Kylo is just a puppet. You know, she would convince him that uh, Sidious perceives that she is stronger than than even Kylo and Kylo is just going to bring her back there so Sidious can kill Kylo and try to turn her. Uh, Kylo, you can tell, kind of believes it, uh, but lashes out in anger and fights back and we have a very similar uh, battle. Force healing would have been established on Pisana, so a very similar scene happens of Leia reaching out and dying in that way, uh, and Rey uh, striking or killing her, or not killing him, but you know stabbing him and then force healing him, and then we have the Han's um, memories, the whole that whole scene play out, and so really the test here would have ended up be, like not really being Rey confronting herself, but it would be her confrontation with Ben and her choosing to heal him and head to Exegol uh, to save her friends. Uh, would reveal who she is just by her virtues. Uh, she enters the system of Exegol, uh, and she's able to uh, see that they're like she's able to find something that looks to be uh, a ship because she hasn't entered into uh, Exegol's atmosphere yet. So she finds, or in some way, maybe it's further out. Maybe they haven't fully entered. They're just kind of on the fringes of it. Um, in some way, she's able to find uh, Poe and Finn sitting out there waiting. Uh, They tell her that they can try to draw the attention away from her if she wants to try to land at the temple and confront Palpatine. They'll try some diversion to make sure that nobody knows that she's there. Um, After the scene of, I guess, and the Han memory would happen now, and after that, um, Kylo would then head back to the portal on Moraband. Ah, I'm just now realizing something. What? I had her get to hmm i had her get to moraband through a ship even though she could st- she could steal kylo's like she does in the movie right but she gets there well in this that super fast interceptor has been destroyed 
And her way of getting there would be Kylo telling her about the portal on Moraband. So she'd travel there, but then that means she'd arrive on Exegol on foot. Not in a spit. Well, okay, so somehow she's able to contact, like I said, rough, rough draft. Somehow she's able to uh, establish contact with Poe and Finn. Um, so they, instead of trying to attack Sidious themselves, they decide they're going to try to keep the heat off of Rey by creating distractions and just above all of the Star Destroyers. Um, then Kylo also is able to, I don't know, maybe it's just a, a downed TIE fighter that's still working there in the wreckage or something. But he's able to get to Moraband and travel uh, through the portal and run after her as he did in the movie. Um, this battle carries out fairly similarly. Um, Palpatine tells her, or she confronts Palpatine where he tells her she's too much like him to not be his. Uh, he also tells her that the rule of two was initially a grasp at immortality through possession, but its intent had been lost and was reduced to nothing but um, fruitless tradition. Uh, and so he says he discovered its true purpose on Exegol over the 30 years of being reduced to just kind of a almost a corpse barely holding on to life with nothing to do but study the Sith texts. Um, he tries provoking her into striking him. Claim, try, lying and claiming that they will share consciousness and power, but this is very much just him trying to possess her. Uh, she denies and begins fighting the guards like she does in the film. Um, I want to... So, the knights would try to reason with Kylo. Uh, they would confront him as he's trying to rescue her. But during the reasoning, it, like them trying to reason with him behind him would be another knight of Ren coming in to sneak up on him. And Kylo would just like behead him and, and strike first, kind of as a nod to, to Han shooting first. Um, and then we'd have a very similar Knight of Ren fight. Uh, ben would meet up with Rey and they both stand against the Emperor. Um, however, you know, the Emperor is fairly helpless at this point. However, a surviving Knight of Ren gets a shot in at Kylo and mortally wounds him. Uh, Rey kills that, uh, that Knight of Ren and begins trying to heal Kylo. However, Sidious senses the healing and essentially kind of intercepts the force healing and funnels it into himself, no longer needing her to strike him down. Uh, Ray, so Palpatine, this scene would then play out very similar, only it's not through the force dyad thing. Uh, it's just her, as she opens her the, herself back up to the force and tries to reach out with her energy, uh, Sidious just kind of funnels it into himself. Um, uh... Ray's, as Sidious, everything seems lost and Sidious seems to be powerful again. We then cut to Ray's body being lifted from the ground by a group of Force ghosts instead of just the Force, uh, the voices we actually see them there. Um, it'd be meant to interpret, like, be interpreted as if they're pouring some, some kind of Force energy. Uh, not something super cheesy and flashy looking, but the idea that, you know, as, as the physical people are able to heal each other as they do here, there's some way that these force ghosts are able to revive her to an extent. Um, and with her not being able to have healed Kylo, she looks over, she, she sees Kylo among the ghosts, which draws her attention to his lifeless body. So they have no opportunity to kiss and Kylo is dead at this point. Uh, this scene would cut to a bunch of different people noticing something happening. There'd be a general awareness of some something going on, kind of as people are vaguely aware through the force whenever big events happen. Uh, and this would include Beaumont. We'd cut back to him kind of noticing something going on. Um, Sidious would try to you know, kill her in the same way he does in the movie, but she would 
she having Leia's hilt or lightsaber, she already has that one. She'd force pull Kylo's from him and she'd block it back into him and this would kill him. Uh, during this, this very similar space battle is going on. Uh, in this, I would have, there's that moment where Finn has to go back and do something. Uh, here, it's very much understood that what he's going to do is a one-way trip. Uh, and Rose would talk to him over uh, over the radio, you know, try, pleading with him to come back, asking what he's doing. And he would say he's saving what he loves. Um, Finn would end up dying this way. Uh, Finn's use, Yeah. Uh, I'm done. I'm out. Nope. This isn't happening. Finn's use here would be... Because <laughs> I, I liked his arc. I liked the idea of him dedicating himself to the resistance you know he was he only cared about himself and ray by the end of the of the force awakens it wasn't until the end of the last jedi that he was fully committed to the resistance i didn't want to complicate his character more beyond that i kind of liked that arc so in this version i would use him um more of kind of the steady anchor um for Poe and Ray to bounce off because they would be You've the ones just who just enraged all of woke twitter by killing Finn yeah ah well he gets a cool hero's death. Hero's death are my favorite things. So <laughs> whenever I dole out a hero's death, it's only because I love the character. So what's he doing? Uh, I forget what he what he's actually having to do. I guess it would be something very similar to what he's doing in The Rise of Skywalker, only in this version, whatever he's having to stay behind to do. There's no way that the Falcon would be able to return for him to jump on like he does in that one. Like this is, this is very much, you know, I've... I've grown. I've learned what I need to learn. I've kind of been this person for them during this. Uh, and now I'm giving myself to the cause. Uh, like I said, I, in some way, redeeming the kind of like not fighting what we hate, saving what we love. And so he would still get his self-sacrifice in a way that is very overtly saving what he loves. So Sidious is killed in that way. And the galaxy kind of defeats his armada. The space battle would play uh play out much the same way it does uh when lando returns he would make some sort of reference back to uh pose doubts about if the galaxy heard it would just be very obvious that the galaxy showing up in this way because of the conversation they had because they show up now it's obvious they showed up because of luke's uh last stand um uh so back on yavin poe rose and ray mourn leia and finn um, Poe asks Ray what she plans on doing now. Um, she says that uh, Luke died so he could, uh, so the order could be rebuilt, and she's not going to let his death go to ra- uh, waste. Rose asks uh, if that means she's changed her mind on what the Jedi was. Ray says that the galaxy needs the Jedi, um, though maybe not the Jedi as they were. Um, but she says there's something she has to do first. Uh, Poe, Ray, and BB-8 head out to Tatooine to lay the saber to rest. As Ray looks at Luke's saber during the trip there, Poe asks how Luke couldn't have known that she was a Palpatine. Uh, Ray says that she didn't know, or that he didn't know his own father was Darth Vader. And she says, besides, we don't know anything for sure. Uh, so Poe responds saying, so you do, th- or so you think Palpatine was lying. She says kind of vague, like, no, I don't know, maybe. But then she says, it doesn't matter. Or like, I don't think it matters who I am. Uh, and then, uh, then they end up coming in for the landing. So the idea would be, I don't leave. It's a, it's a Deckard Blade Runner situation. Decide for yourself. <laughs> the point is it doesn't matter. That way, I, I feel like if JJ wants to see her as triumphing over her bloodline, 
you can see it that. If you want to see her as a nobody, which I would, you can see it that way, but not in a, a super cheap, ambiguous way. The point, like there's, there's credibility to either reading, but the ultimate thematic point is that regardless of if she's Sidious or if she's not, that's not what matters. So mm -hmm. for lore people, if they need those big lore reveals, interpret it that way. Regardless, the thematic point would still be, regard, like the answer ultimately doesn't matter. So they end up landing. Uh, so I, I wasn't even about to attempt to write these lines because it would be the cheesiest, most horrible thing. I would rely on the unending supply of charm from Poe <laughs> and uh, JJ having some sort of line. But Poe would ask about changes to the Jedi Order and he would make some sort of remark about attachments. You killed Finn just to get Poe and Ray together, you bastard. Let me tell you what, man. There is... There was too much chemistry in their meeting. I was not going to let that go to waste. I hate you so much. Oh, I know you do. <laughs> but uh, I know. Um, but anyways, I wasn't going to write that because that would just be me doing my best George Lucas impression. And by impression, I mean I would probably just, as much as I may make fun of some of his lines, I doubt I could write anything. But the idea would be there'd be implications that... Ray, I truly, deeply love you okay never mind write it down i love it uh, <laughs> but anyways it would be a moment played for humor but also i guess my version of of you you showing uh ray and finn together and this is honestly less kind of me wanting to ship them and be like oh no this is who i wanted and more of i do want something to function uh -huh, sure sure sure, as sure, a, as, sure well okay maybe sure. both but as a way of letting the audience know like this isn't this is a different order. It isn't going to be the same dogmatic kind of thing. And then Finn's force ghost pops up. And like, what the hell? <laughs> exactly. I'm um, gone one day. <laughs> uh, so they land on Tatooine. Uh, Poe waits as she and BB-8 leave. Or I guess he could join. I guess that doesn't matter too much. Um, but we'd have a very similar scene play out where she buries the sabers and then she's asked who, who her name is. And then she replies after sitting and thinking, and we'd have the, we'd have the very similar moment on Pisano where she's asked, who are you? Like Ray, who You're like, just, just Ray kind of saddened by it. And we'd end with her saying just Ray, but just Ray with confidence, um, say just to kind of hammer home that idea and that none of that other stuff matters. This is Ray, um, we get a shot of her in the suns because I think that's really cool. But instead of fading to black, we would fade to white and we'd kind of have a, a flash forward um, to a newly constructed Jedi temple. Also, and I also pictured a very green place um, with very like, um, like natural, natural looking uh, Jedi temple. Um, one in the shape, like very much in the shape of the one on Coruscant, but more... Uh, in like the kind of Yavin ruins material. What about like the Lothal ones? Remember those? I thought about that. The one of the, I kind of wanted some callback, some some way of respecting the Jedi Order that came before. Um, maybe have some like Lothal looking things in the background. Maybe a nice wide shot of the temple surrounded by other things. Uh, but I wanted the temple to be in the same shape, but in a much more natural kind of environment, not the very like high society city looking temple. Um, and so we would just, we'd have a lot of just kind of panning through temples, panning through lessons. 
uh, seeing a new generation like you, just all sorts of different uh, people, not just kids. Uh, and one of the ways we'd show the idea that people of any age are joining is we'd show Beaumont there and in a nod that I don't care what people think, I would show Beaumont with his little Padawan rat tail. Uh, <laughs> I... For some reason, like that's just what I associate with Padawans. I'm like, no, of all the traditions that need to be done away with, that is the first. <laughs> nah, man, it's classic. Uh, and so we see him there. He is one of the he's one of the Padawans. So obviously, youth, like being a young kid, able to be indoctrinated, is obviously no longer a requirement. And you know, his his whole point, he wouldn't be in it a lot of the time. I think one of the ways I'd be padding this out to make to be able to jump to all the locations the movie did, but make it feel a little less jarring, is to flesh out some of his scenes uh, between he and Ro, uh, or not Ro, Rose, um, where just have like have the have them have conversations as he's interpreting it, and ca- part of what would define his character is you know he dedicates so much of himself to learning about the Force, to learning about the Jedi, and all of this, and he's just so disappointed that he feels no connection, and then. This would be the idea. Like, the Force is awakening. The Force doesn't belong to any one person. It's not about bloodlines. And so having him kind of be aware of something happening with the Force as the Force goes, Lift Ray, would be setting up that the Force is um, kind of acting through everybody. And so now he is training as a Jedi there at the end. Um, and then uh, after we're done kind of panning around, looking at all the cool structures and lessons going on, um, maybe even f- like having people in Padawan suit, like kind of older couples or not like older, older couples, but, you know, um, people in their twenties walking around, maybe even holding hands, but also in Jedi robes to continue to sell that idea. Uh, and then it would end on a shot, uh, outside of the temple, uh, of a statue of, of Finn. And it would kind of slowly zoom in on a statue dedicated to Finn. And then it would cut to black. He died so that Ray and Poe could be together. <laughs> Uh, one thing I forgot. Oh, going back to my my uh, my treatment, um, I wanted to make it very clear that that the uh, the force is actively drawing both Rey and Kylo to the Jedi Temple together to resolve their imbalance. Like I want the force to be a, an active participant in the ongoings. Gotcha. So that's that's that. Like I said, uh, I tried to stick to some of the themes they were wanting. It seemed like I said it seemed like they liked the idea of the galaxy's ultimate battle going back to a, a Palpatine, Skywalker, all of this. Uh, so I included him. Hopefully, I, I'm honestly somewhat okay with my decision with Ray Palpatine. Um, like I said, oh, oh, hopefully it would end in some way that leaves enough ambiguity to allow interpretation while maintaining a... Like, regardless of interpretation still landing on the same thematic point. All right. So that was the beginning of our new monthly segment, uh, Fan Fiction Fatigue. I really owe an apology to every person writing fan fiction that I've ever made fun of because I enjoyed myself too much doing this. <laughs> it was it was fun. Uh, it's like there, there are certain points like trying to write like an action finale is just like it, it just hurts your brain. It's like because. You just the you want to just ignore the rules of space and time. Like I need this character here for this dramatic moment. I don't care how they get there. <laughs> that's why. Like that's why I relied. The two things I relied on the most were one, trying to reuse as much of the action that JJ did as I could, 
And two, like introducing those portals to just try to get people from locations, one location to the other as quickly as I can. Like, I don't care. I need them there. I know they're here. There is a, a rebels portal, whoever, like, it doesn't matter. Because I wanted Kylo to be, like, I like the idea of essentially like the space race to try to get to Exegol, but I also needed Kylo to already be there, but also active in the main plot. So it's like, whatever, portals. <laughs> you can't fit his whole armada into like a little door portal, so they have to travel the long way, and he doesn't have to, dang it. Yeah, again, I, I do want to be clear at this. Like this, I, I don't consider what I'm doing here to be remotely the same as what we do. Like when we normally try to 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 offer alternatives normally at least for myself i'm trying to very strictly adhere to what the intent behind the film was it was just when i got here i i could not make heads or tails of the intent like none of it made sense to me and it just the 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 drama didn't line up so whenever i found a disagreement between um you know the rise of skywalker and the last day and the force awakens i always chose i always sided with the previous two films which ended up cutting out a lot of major Rise of Skywalker elements, which I'm fine with. My conscience is clear. <laughs> All right. So I, I, I hope you uh, enjoyed our attempt at dabbling in rewrites and fan fiction, all that good stuff. Um, if you did, I'd like to ask you, again to, I'd like to ask you to please uh, head over to iTunes and uh, subscribe to the podcast there and uh, leave us a five-star rating and review. It will be very helpful, help people find the, find the show. Uh, if you want to like us on Facebook, you can find us there at Franchise League Podcast. Uh, if you want to find us on Instagram and Twitter, we are on those sites as at franchised pod. And you can find us um, and you can find all the other episodes at Fran- and you can find our other episodes at franchisedpodcast.com. Um, and where can people follow you, James? Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd. I am there as JL Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. Uh, and, you know, we're talking about Star Wars, so it's relevant to bring this up. We, uh, we also have our Star Wars group, uh, The Outer Rim, a Star Wars group on Facebook. Where we talk about all things Star Wars, uh, and we we keep conversations positive. You know, we talk about the things we like, especially considering how divisive things are. Um, and you know, we hold ourselves to that. You know, even as people who have problems uh, with some of the things, uh, we try to foster an environment that's just you know peace and love. Yeah, exactly, the Jedi way. And I'm also on Letterboxd, and there's Gabriel Green. You can find me on Instagram as Gabe Great Green, and I have a YouTube channel where I make uh, movie-based music videos called Greenery 01. Um, so next week, uh, we're talking about the Clone Wars Season 7. Mm. It's... Oh, dude. I, I feel like we're going to spend a good two hours just on that final arc. I was going to say, we'll probably like skim through the first two arcs and then just like two-thirds of the episode are just going to be Mandalorian arcs. So amazing. Uh, yep, yeah, so that's what's happening next week, and uh, I need to get watching. So until next week, we will see you in the finale.